You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Something a little different is going to happen here in a minute, I've been told. Uh, last week, Easter Sunday, uh, Brian took you into chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, which strangely enough is about the resurrection. And this is such a huge topic that you really can't cover it in just one Sunday, so we're going to continue into it this Sunday. And it's also such a huge topic that not only does it need two Sundays, it needs two messengers uh, to talk to us. So something a little bit different today. We get to hear two messages from the same text, one from Eric Olson, who's from the district office, and our guest this week will be coming up soon. And then Brian will uh, will jump in there. So he has asked me to read the text, which is like 5 million verses. So if you would turn to 1 Corinthians 15 with me, and we will start in the middle of this chapter at verse 27. I believe that will be the text of the messages today. So 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 27, it reads as this, For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it's evident that he's expected that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for them? Why are we also in danger every hour? I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I, I die daily. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Oh, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. But someone will say, well, how are the dead raised? And, and with what kind of body do they come? You fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it seed, seeds. Or I'm sorry, but God gives it a body just as he wished. And to each of the seeds, a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men and another of beasts, another flesh of birds and another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly body is one and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from stars in glory. So also in the resurrection of the dead, it is sown a perishable body. It is raised in imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. 
As is the earthy, so also is those who are who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we've been just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For this imperishable must put on, or I'm sorry, for this perishable must put on the imperishable. And this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So uh, I'm new up here in uh, this area of the country, Uh, 55 years old, I know, I look so young, right? Um, So, uh, but Southern California, my whole life, I turned it on, mic is on, power's on. Mm. No, I agree with you, I agree with you. I'll turn it on again, you want me to turn the whole thing off and back on? No, that's good. All right. Should I start yelling? No, you're good. All right. So uh, so I moved up here January 1st. I mostly live in Billings, Montana, but I travel all around Wyoming, Idaho, South Dakota, Montana, all of that stuff. Um, So I moved up January 1st of this year. Yeah, it was great, right? Because the record cold in February, right? It hasn't been that cold for 85 years. All right. So, um, yeah, I know. Uh, Sub-zero, no joke. That's what I've learned. Here's the other thing I've learned. You people are nicer than the people in Southern California. I know, right? It's true. It's true. Yeah, give yourself a hand. There you go. So, so I'm, uh, uh, I was here for three months before I heard one person honk their horn. Three months. I'm like, they must not put horns in cars up here, right? Obviously. And then I heard one. I'm like, what was that? I was in Wyoming, and they said, well, look, if, if somebody honks your horn, it's gonna it honks their horn. It's gonna be one of three reasons. The first is the light turned green, and you're staring at your phone for a few seconds, and then a the little beep. The second one is because there's a cow in the road, and the third one is because they want you to pull over so you can get out of your truck and fight. Okay, so I'm learning. I'm figuring this stuff out. I'm Southern California. Um, If if we're pulling over, it's not going to be a fist fight. It's going to be much worse. But anyway, I flew into one airport up here, and I was talking with the guy in the seat next to me, and we we're at baggage claim, and he says uh, he says, "Hey, hey, do you need do you need to ride somewhere?" Now look, 
Southern California, LA. If somebody asks you that, you call airport security. Something bad is going to happen, all right? He's going to take you down some dark alley. You know what he was, why he was asking? He thought I needed a ride. You people are nicer. So I'm trying to become more like you here. Um, let's see. Uh, so I'm part, we're part of this family of churches, Christian Missionary Alliance, these three words we use. So Christian, we're about Jesus. Missionary is we, we love being part of what God is doing in the world, and you saw the video. The alliance is we're better together. We're stronger together. It wasn't just Jack Johnson that wrote that. Right? It's the Bible. He doesn't even know he's quoting it. Um, but there's something about us being involved together. So I moved up here, and my wife is going to join me here pretty soon. Um, and we love being part of all the churches and helping and serving the churches in, in any way that we can. Um, so let me tell you about a story. Um, to tell you a story, an incident that took place in my church in California. At the time, we had people coming uh, to our church that were from this rehab clinic. Um, so everybody was, you know, drugs, alcohol, that kind of stuff. And they would bring these big vans and they would show up at the church. Um, and, and so they, they were required to get in the van, but they weren't required to enter into the church. So there would be, you know, a group inside and there would be an equally large group outside just hanging out trying to avoid church or God or whatever. So this one girl comes up to me. This is March uh, 18th of last year. She comes up to me. Her name's Rebecca. And she says, hey, I, I want to talk to you for a minute. I'm like, okay. And she says, I want to get baptized on March 31st. So March 31st last year was the day before Easter. So in my mind, I'm thinking, there's no way we're going to plan a baptism the day before Easter. We have too much going on. So we had, down, in, down there, we did this big uh, sunrise service on the beach. Big stage, big band, 1,500 people show up at 6.30 in the morning. It's, it's kind of cool to watch the sunrise, the ocean is there, all that kind of stuff. So we have this huge setup the day before. We have a sunrise service. Then we have a service at church. And I'm thinking like, like baptisms for us are, are like we're going to do a meal. We're going to celebrate. We're going to tell stories. It's, it's like this whole thing. She says, yeah, I want to I be baptized that day. And I'm thinking, no way. And then she says, I came to church two weeks ago. I'm like, Cool. And she says, you told me that I should receive Jesus Christ into my life. And I did. I'm like, okay. And she said, I took communion today. First time. And she said, the weirdest thing is happening. I feel so different inside. Is that the spirit that the Bible talks about? She says, like, I feel happier and I feel stronger. I think it's because Jesus is in my life. I said, yeah, I think so too. So then she says, here's where I want to get baptized on March 31st. She says, uh, uh, on, no, she said today, the day we were talking, she said, today I'm 50 uh, days clean of Coke. Not Coca-Cola, right? Coke. <laughs> so um, I'm like, oh, good for you. Are you doing Diet Coke? No. Uh, Coke, Coke. And then she said, I'm also 31 days off of alcohol and I'm 18 days clean from pot. Then she says this, she says, uh, March 31st, I'll be 30 days clean and sober from everything. I'm going to take my 30-day pin, and I want to be baptized with it in my hand, because I know that it's Jesus Christ who gave me the strength to be clean and sober for 30 days. And then she said this, she said, when I was 16, I was attacked. And... Uh, I started using drugs to deal with the pain. 
And she said, it was that weekend, six years ago, I got attacked. I want something good associated with that weekend. So I said, no, we're not doing it. (laughs) So we had a baptism. It was the best time ever. Here's what she knew. She knew that she was raised in a, attended a Christian school. She had some of this knowledge, but she'd never engaged with it and felt the life-giving power of it for herself. That's what this passage is about. It's about the life-giving power that comes through Jesus Christ. And what I love about God, right, is it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been there either. He still meets you right where you are with just what you need. So I don't know where you are in your life. Maybe you're like Rebecca. Maybe you're counting the days or you would like to. Or, or maybe that's not your thing. You're thinking something else. And you know what it is. And you're thinking, I don't know if I'll ever get a, a handle on this, ever get a grasp on this, ever get ahead of this. See, this passage, it starts talking about the fact that Jesus Christ died, but that Jesus Christ also came back alive. And that there's power in that and life-giving power. And that's for here and now. But it's also for there and then. You could hear it in the passage as he was reading it, right? There's, he's talking about, about heavenly and the earthly and all of this and the body you're going to have and all of these things. And we're not going to get into the depths of all that, right? We're going to be like a rock skipping across a pond, right? We're going to just touch a couple of places on it. But listen, it's for here and now. Ask Rebecca. Uh, but it's also for there and then, right? That's what this passage is about. So I don't know what you might need in your life to experience Jesus' power. His life-giving power. But this passage is here for us to know that He wants to give it to us. So I'm going to read the verses. We're in 1 Corinthians 15. You know that on your Bible, your device, whatever you use for it. I'm going to read just a few verses and just skip along. So the first one is in verse 1. I'm starting at the very beginning. I know you touched on that last week. I'll try not to repeat everything Brian said. Here's what it says. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Just to be clear, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you believed in vain. And then then he begins to get into this. He says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And and I I think you probably heard that along the way. But but if not, if if there's not a clarity... For you, that's what we're talking about. The essence of all of the gospel, all that God has to express to us through Jesus Christ is just that. Jesus came down to the earth and he was described like this. He's full of grace and truth. Here's what that means. It means that Jesus never got soft on sin. That's the truth part. He never went like, yeah, I'm getting old and I don't know if I really believe all that stuff. I think it's okay. You know, we, we, we used to believe that that was wrong, but it's fine now. It's actually the opposite. He never went soft on sin. But he went strong on grace. That's what that's about. That's what the gospel is about. That's what Jesus was about. To say, yes, the sin, the wrong. It's for real. But the grace and the forgiveness is also for real. And then the rising up from the dead, also for real. To prove that his death was really the payment for the sins. Interestingly, somebody said something about doubt or something here. And, and uh, so um, I, I love what he said, verse 5, in that same passage. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. So imagine, like, if I told you Brian was up here and he grabbed onto that pipe right there 
And he did a thousand pull-ups without stopping. With one hand. (laughs) Who thinks he could do it? Who wants to see him try? No, we're not doing that. (laughs) That would be fun. I know, thank you. I see that hand. Uh, No. Um, but, But listen, if we all saw it, if hundreds of people saw it, it, but Paul is in this conversation and he's like, he's like, look, hundreds of people saw it. They're still around. You can go ask them. See, if I tell you that and you can't find one person who saw it, would you buy it? Would you listen to me ever? You'd say, no, he's a liar. And he'd say, why are you having him come? He's a liar. He told us something was true that's not true. Look, I, the doubt is not the enemy of faith. I, I know in so, at some level maybe it might be, but there's these little nuggets along the way that this one that Paul writes, and it's not even the essence of what I, I should be saying to you, but I don't want you to miss it. He says, look, hundreds of people, they're around. You can go ask them. Some are in different cities, but they were a connected community. They were writing letters like this one to 1 Corinthians. It's being passed around to the churches. Like you could go find someone who said, I was there. I saw him die. You can go talk to him. You can go talk to Laura. She was there. Go ask her. She said, I was there. I saw him die. And I was there when he came back. And I saw him alive. See, our, our faith is rooted in history, in archaeology. It's worth it for us to be able to, to investigate those things with a whole heart and a whole head as well. And find there's some real, real truth, there, real stability to our faith that we believe all right, that's not the point of the passage, but uh, I wanted to throw that out to you. Uh, and we'll see how many pull-ups Brian can really do later. Um, verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. And then in verse 22, he skips down and says this, for as an Adam, all die, meaning like all people die. And the idea is that there's sin is in the system. And it's just passed on from person to person. But then he says this, So in Christ, all will be made alive. And it goes back and forth in this passage talking about who will be made alive in the future. And he also talks about how he's life-giving in the present. Both those things are balanced back and forth all throughout this. Then in verse 42, skipping way down ahead, he says this. He says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor and it is raised in glory. It's sown in weakness and it's raised in power. This idea of power. The spiritual versus the the natural. And in in the next verses, he he gets into it. And you you, uh, followed along as they read it. It says it is sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. And then it says in verse 45, So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. And the last Adam, referring to Jesus, became this. This is the phrase. Became a life-giving spirit. I don't know how life-filled your spirit is right now. He doesn't say... Eventually, he'll be a life-giving spirit. This isn't a future tense. He goes back and forth, future and present all along. But he says, the last Adam, referring to Jesus, a life-giving spirit. Because he came back alive. So it's for the Rebecca's of the world, it's for the Eric's of the world. Verse 49, it finishes up with this idea 
Just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man, Jesus. And then you heard this read. It says, For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with the immortality. When the perishable, the human body, has been clothed with the imperishable, the, the eternal body, the, the body that we get when we're in heaven. And isn't that going to be great, by the way? I mean, cancer's gone, right? Alzheimer's gone. I know, you're, a lot of you are like, Alzheimer's? Why do you think about that? This is why. Right? All those things are gone. That's the body that he gives. So I've got to stop here in just a minute, but I want to read a story for you. Um, do you know this author? I don't know if you've heard of her. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata is her name, and she's, uh, she's been, you know, she's, I don't know what, she's probably 70 now or some number like that. Um, so she dove into the Chesapeake Bay on the East Coast, and uh, she thought the water was deep, but it wasn't. So she became a quadriplegic that day in 1967, I think it was. Meaning like she can't move anything from the neck down. Can't move her arms, can't move her legs. In a wheelchair for the last, what's it been, 40 years, something like that. 50 years, I don't know. Somebody else, you engineers can do the math. I know it, I know it's addition. I know, I know, it's the first grader can do the math, whatever. Um, she says this. She says, I sure hope I can bring this wheelchair to heaven. And she says this, I know it's not theologically correct, but I hope to bring it and put it in a little corner of heaven. And then in my new, perfect, glorified body, standing on grateful, glorified legs. She gets this. I'll stand next to my Savior and I'll hold his nail-pierced hands and I'll say, thank you, Jesus. And he will know that I mean it because he knows me. He'll recognize me from the fellowship we're now sharing in his sufferings. And I will say, Jesus, do you see that wheelchair? You were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble. Because that thing was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. It never would have happened had you not given me the bruising of the blessing of that wheelchair. So she says, I'm going to be in heaven. There's going to be this parade. There's going to be joy and tears of happiness and this wonderful, incredible experience that we're going to have there. And she says this. She gets it. She says, at that point, Christ will open our eyes to the great fountain of joy in his heart for us beyond all that we ever experienced on earth. And when we're able to stop laughing and crying, the Lord Jesus really will wipe away our tears. Look, if, he, if we believe in a rotting corpse, that's why this resurrection piece is so critical, right? So then she says, I find it so poignant that finally at the point when I do have the use of my arms to wipe away my own tears, that Jesus will be there to wipe them away for me. And then she says, oh, and by the way, I'm going to tell him... Uh, you can send that wheelchair to hell if you want. <laughs> it's a great thing of pain for her. But I think she gets it. She gets this idea that the Spirit comes into our lives and brings life to us here and carries us to the full expression of life there. That, that there's this, this physical body that we have, but, but she's saying you can experience the power here right now. The power that, that defeated death. The power that 
conquered sin, the power that Jesus Christ demonstrated for us that he wants to bring to us. I don't know what you need his power for. I, I don't know what you need his presence for. I mean, I, I, I moved up here, and, and so uh, we moved up, and, and I'll, I'll finish with this. See, they say, uh, everybody's like, oh, we're going to miss you. And I'm like, I'm going to miss you too, but you know what? we we got phones, right? We can FaceTime all the time, right? We, and all, all, that's, all that's super great. We have like Marco Polo now is this app and all these apps. And you know what? I hardly talk to anybody. Oh, I know. It's a little bit sad. Actually, it's a little bit sad, right? Because all these friends that I have, I, I don't... And, uh, and my family, we talk to some, but not as much as I'd, I'd really like. Because, you know, in, in our relationships, distance separates us. And busyness separates us, and health separates us, and money separates us. I don't know if I, I can't really go out to dinner, I can't go visit you, I don't have the gas money, whatever it might be. This is why the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ matters. Right? He said, I'll, I'll be with you. Right? Students going home, he'll be with you. Students staying here, he'll be with you. Whatever season you're in right now, he'll be with you. See, the power, the life-giving, spirit-giving power is for here and now, and it continues all the way to the there and then. So I have to stop. That's all I got. Well, you're going to want this, huh, now that it's working. Imagine this rope. Okay, pretend this rope just goes on forever. Now imagine that this rope is a timeline of your existence. You just exist forever. You see this red part? This would represent your time on Earth. You've got a few short years here on Earth, and then you've got all of eternity somewhere else. And what blows me away is some of you, all you think about is this red part. It's all you think about. You're consumed with this. Oh man, I can't wait till here. You know, I'm gonna work hard. I'm gonna save, 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 so I can really enjoy this part right here. And you're consumed with that. You're thinking, oh man, I'm gonna get to travel. Am I gonna eat well? Am I gonna do this during this part? I'm like, Are you kidding me? What about this? What about that? What about all this stuff? It's just, it's crazy to me because because the Bible teaches that what I do during this little red part determines how I'm going to exist for millions and millions and millions of years forever. And, and so why would I spend this little red part trying to make myself as comfortable as possible, enjoying myself as much as I can? Paul says, look, I'm going to live my life for this mission. I'm going to spend my life, invest my life for this moment when I cross that finish line. So I'm going to forget about all the stuff I could enjoy. And I'm not going to look around. I'm going to be like a runner just looking at that moment when I face God. Because when I face Him, then I don't get this chance over again. We get one chance at this life on earth. And it can end at any second for any of us. We've got one chance at this. And then comes eternity. And so people look at some of my decisions and go, oh, you're so stupid because that's going to really affect this. I go, no, you're stupid because that's going to affect all of this. Man, I, I, I'm serious. I look at the way people live and I go, wow, that is so crazy. You are so crazy. You're going to do that right now, just to enjoy right now. Not even knowing if you have tomorrow and you think that's smart and that I'm done.
So I'm glad that Eric got to come up here. Um, Eric didn't introduce himself a ton, but you can get to know him afterwards. Um, I, Eric was coming, we had, we had this scheduled, and I selfishly told him, uh, I'm going to get up and speak too. Why? Because my college students are here, and you guys aren't going to be here next week. And I want to be able to let you guys know that. That video. Okay? You're about to make a big change in your life. You're about to make a, whether it's a you know, small minor change, you're going to go back and hang out with your parents or something like that. And it's really exciting. Why? Because you get to be done with school. Woo! Yeah. Be done with school. And then it'll start again. And then you'll be done. Woo! And then it'll start again. And then you'll be done, finally. And then you're going to be like, okay, now I have the rest of my life ahead of me. That's depressing. I have to worry about insurance and taxes. Woo! Just like an insurance salesman in the crowd. I gotta worry about insurance. Yes, you do. And I have a card here for you. Um, but here's the deal. Whether you're young, whether you're old, I don't think we can get enough of this message that what you do right now matters. For thousands and thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of years. What you do with this life matters. C.S. Lewis, he says this. It may be possible for each person to think too much of his own potential, but it is hardly possible for him to think too often and too deeply about the potential of his neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back. A load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. See, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature, which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption, such as now, such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and circumspection proper to them, that we should conduct our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. See, there are no ordinary people, Lewis says. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, those things are mortal and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke, with whom we work, with whom we marry, with whom we snub, with whom we exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be that of that kind which exists between people who have from the outset taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption, and our charity must be real and costly love with deep feeling of of the sins in spite of which we love the sinner. No more tolerance, no mere tolerance or indulgence which parodies love as flippancy parodies merriment. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. That's C.S. Lewis. I don't know if you think about that a whole lot. I know I don't. I look at my neighbor, literally my physical neighbor, and I roll my eyes and I go, oh, they are so annoying. 
Yet, here's the deal. If I take the Bible seriously, that person has been sovereignly placed by God next to me. And the weight of their eternity holds it's, is, is held right next door. Shares an address. Sometimes steals my mail. That person is an eternal being who will one day perish and experience all of eternity. And they get in my way and they ruin my joy and sometimes they step on my toes and ruin my peace and I get angry. And I think it's because I don't honestly believe what the Bible tells me about humanity. Paul said in this passage, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and shall be changed. For this perishable body, perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Things will change. Your life will change. Your location will change. You will go back from school to home, or you will stay here and you will remain, and Monday will come, and Tuesday will come, and Saturday will come, and the days will go on, and things will change. But here is the deal. This time, this life, this moment, these worries, this world is not all there is. It is not all there is. In our passage today, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, Paul says something that is very contrary to your world. See, it seems ludicrous at first, and even second, and sometimes even the third reading, if you study this passage at all, that this life is not all there is. In fact, this mortal life is nothing more than a shadow of the one to come. That the one to come is the real deal. And this thing that you're experiencing right now, the, the person that you can feel the like nastiness of their shoulder right next to you, right? Like that person. That's a shadow of eternity. That is a beginning point, a foundation that is pointing you to something bigger and higher and greater and longer by far than anything you will ever experience here. See, this is contrary to the things that surround you. As you wake up each morning, inundating yourself with uh, you know YouTube videos and maybe Good Morning America and a few podcasts and a drive to work and a good cup of coffee and a, a delivery pizza for the family in the evening because you just can't even or like a moment to sit at yeah you know that's happening tonight or like that moment you sit down to plan your vacation at the computer and next thing you know eighteen hours have gone by and you're frustrated or that moment you have to write the check out to the government because you forgot that you had to pay some taxes or whatever, right? As you face these things, there is a potential. There is a drama that's happening and there's a potential battle that's happening for your mind to grasp eternity. With every every opening of the cell phone, every text, every moment that gets shorter and shorter and every relationship that gets weaker and faker what is happening is this world is pulling at you saying cling tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter to this life because it's the only one you've got and that is the complete opposite of what the bible says marketers social media gurus the the leaders of this place they know this panic deep down inside of you and they seek to exploit it they know this thing that's deep down inside of you, this, this rage, this anger at the fact that the moments of this world are slipping through the palms of your hand. They know that. 
They know it. They know it well. They've studied the science of it. They've got degrees in it. I've got a degree in it, just so you know. And they inspire us to drop thousands of dollars on the next gadget that will make our, tr- our lives truly complete. Finally, we will have all the entertainment at our fingers. If only I spend $1,500 until nine months from now when another device comes out. They know this about us. That we will cling to everything that is so fleeting and so fast because deep down inside we're afraid that this life is the only one that there is. Yet the Bible screams to us, the Lord Jesus Christ as He's resurrected screams to us, this life is not all that there is. You have today for tomorrow. For 10,000 years down the road. See, in the face of all of this panic, Paul says, the great mystery is that you will all perish. It's not a great mystery, Paul. It's not a great mystery. We all know we're going to perish. But he says the cultures of this world, the stuff of this world, the clothes, the styles of this world, the houses and the social structures, these things just will simply vanish. Poof. Gone. The veneer of them will pull back and we will see that there's nothing underneath them. And all will be transformed. The dead raised, some to eternal glory, some... To eternal, not to glory. We'll just put it that way. You have never met an ordinary human. That's what C.S. Lewis had said in that quote I talked about earlier. You've only met eternal beings. Look at the person next to you. Look at them. Out of the corner of your eye, you can side eye them. It's fine. (laughs) They will last for eternity. 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 The weight of this should be actually like the most life-giving thing. It should be the most purpose-giving and ultimately like life-changing and challenging realities. And it is one that we just simply, unfortunately, don't take too seriously. And the Bible even knows this, right? Like, love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Why? Because they face eternity. And you have the keys. You know what eternity means. Your eyes have been opened to the beauty of all that there is. And God says, love your neighbor as yourself. And we should ask, why? Why? Because they are the only thing that will last. Parent your children. Why? Why not just be their friends? Why not just be buddy-buddy with them? Because they face eternity. They are the ones that God has given you to mess your house up, to get at your heart, to get at your sanctification, to challenge you, to challenge your morality, to challenge your ethics, to challenge your worldviews, to challenge your beliefs, to, to step into your face and say, I don't believe what you believe. Prove it to me. Those are the people God has placed in your home to parent. Desperately seek the good of the oppressed. Why? Why should we seek the good of the oppressed? Because they are eternal beings for crying out loud. And we worry about our resources like, oh man, they're going to use me and abuse me and take all my stuff because my stuff's more important than an eternal creature. That's how the logic works in my heart and in my head. Fight for your marriage. Why? Because you've been intertwined with an eternal being. Do you see how powerful this all is? If we truly believe, if we truly believe that eternity is real, how will your life look? 
a little quote down here. I didn't even put it up on screen or anything. But it goes like this. If eternity is a reality, if eternity is a reality, then I need to live radically. Right? If eternity is a reality, then you need to live radically. If eternity truly, truly, truly is a reality, then what does it matter? The stuff I have in my pocket, the bills that I face, or the culture that I'm surrounded by. If eternity is a reality, then I need to live radically sold out to that which matters in eternity. Is that you? Is that us? Is that me? I'm going to preach at me, right? Like, this is all about me. Whose eternity do you get to change today? Whose eternity is in the palm of your hand? Whose eternity has been placed right next to you? What temporary resources do you have to spend today on the eternal realities of all of this all this life points to? Do you believe that you're an eternal creature? <laughs> do you believe that you will literally last for all of eternity? And that the things you do right now echo in eternity. Stole that from a movie somewhere. If you do believe you're an eternal creature, if that's really settling in, and you're sitting here going, man, I haven't actually thought about that in a really long time. If you believe that you're an eternal creature and that this moment really matters and echoes into eternity, have you come to the eternal life giver? Have you come to the one who holds the keys of all this stuff, who's the first fruit, as Paul says, the one who's been raised from the dead and is the one who's out in front of us? Have you come to him saying, hey, Jesus, you know which way to go with this eternal life, obviously because you started that before all the rest of us. Can you show me how to live this life? Can you show me how to really truly embrace this world as though it is temporary? And there are eternal creatures and eternal beings here. Whose eternity do you get to change today? I love the story Eric shared. Um, when I was a kid growing up, Johnny Erickson Tata was like, she was the big deal. Everybody knew Johnny. And Johnny had this incredible message about how God had limited her. But yet in those limitations, has shown her that there's only this life as a breath. It's a powerful thing. And then John, uh, Johnny Erickson Tata got to come to our council, what was that, four years ago? Six years, four years ago, something like that? She came and she was one of the keynote speakers and she you know, rolled up in the wheelchair and she had this message to talk about, about the beauty and, and power of suffering in this world for the sake of Jesus Christ. And here's this lady, and she's not talking, in fact, it even becomes apparent. As she's sharing the story, she's not even talking about her wheelchair. She's talking about the suffering of the anguish of the relationships in her life. The strain that that wheelchair put on her marriage. The strain that that wheelchair put on the the relationships around her. And the strain of ministry that happened over time. And she's talking about this suffering is something that God used to shape and change me. Just like Eric had said, that I get to set all these things down, these sufferings. And I really love that imagery. Like I hope she gets to set those things down in the corner and say, Jesus, you remember this thing? Thank you for it. Thank you for it. Because it changed my perspective on this world. Some of you guys face incredible things. Really difficult circumstances. Right now you might be facing a, a tough circumstance. Or maybe you're you know, just getting done with finals. You're like, woohoo, tough circumstance over. 
But I'm just going to challenge you, man. Someday Jesus is going to be able to show you, thank you for the suffering of the school of minds. Thank you for the suffering of some, some struggle or some issue. Because it's the thing that pointed me back to you to see how powerful and how big and strong you are. Do you believe that you're an eternal creature? Because if eternity, if eternity is reality, then we all need to live radically sold out to that idea. So we're going to pray. We're going to sing a song. And this is a song about the reality of the fact that one day you're going to rise and face Jesus. And this is a song of response. We talk about this quite often, or I've talked about it quite often. In Augustine's word, or St. Augustine's word, to, to sing once is to pray twice. It's the same emotion, same action, everything. You're just doing it with a melody line, right? So this is a time for us to sing and to pray and to respond to Jesus saying, Jesus, I forgot that I'm an eternal power, an eternal creature, and I forgot that you're the one that holds eternal power. Can I see you work in my life? Lord Jesus, we come before you and I ask, <laughs> uh, personally, Lord, I just ask that you will Remind me over and over and over again that this life is the commodity I get to spend on eternity and the eternity of others and the eternity of of your kingdom. It's not something I'm supposed to hold on to and squeeze every ounce out of. But it's something to be invested and to use to be used and to be spent for the good of your people and the good of your kingdom. Lord, thank you that you are the first fruits, that you rose from the dead and you have granted new life. But I pray that you would send new life into our hearts and into our souls and into our lives to drag us kicking and screaming into this new and open world, being able to see the eternity of everything and be so motivated by that, that we will go wherever, we will do whatever, we will spend whatever time we have investing in that eternity. Lord, make that message real to us. Help us to know that we are eternal creatures and that if eternity is a reality, that we need to live radically sold out to that. Lord, thank you for this time to wait around in your word and I pray that as we pray to you, as we sing to you, that you will do business in us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.